Well, again, good morning. It's so happy to see you guys here on a Christmas morning. It's thank you, Paul. It's good, good rejoicing there. Glad that you could join us after this very cold week. This upcoming week looks a little bit better. It's going to be a heat wave into the 40s. It's going to be crazy. Don't know what to do with ourselves outside. But uh, we survived, and I'm glad that you're able to make it here this morning. Um, it doesn't happen too often that we get to actually celebrate Christmas on Christmas Day. Uh, it's a kind of a special thing where we get to celebrate the birth of Christ. You know, normally it's on the fourth Sunday of Advent that we say we hope that you have a Merry Christmas. But today we get to come and say, Merry Christmas. It's something that's unique for this year. Um, and you know, I'm not sure if you're like me, but as you go through this season, you watch a lot of different Christmas movies. And this past week, uh, Charlie Brown Christmas has been on my mind. I love that movie, always have. Try to watch it every year if I can. I love Linus's speech, of course, but if you recall, right before that, Charlie Brown screams out, can't anybody tell me what Christmas is all about? I've always enjoyed that line. I've always enjoyed that question. You know, and if you recall, he's in the middle of directing a Christmas pageant. If you've ever been involved in one, especially from the directing standpoint, it can be stressful. It can be frustrating. You're dealing with a lot of kids that may or may not show up the day of the pageant, and you're trying to coordinate everybody, and you're trying to honor parents' wishes and make everybody happy, and at the same time, celebrate Jesus. You know, maybe if you search your memory banks, you can think of different Christmas pageants that you've had some good memories from, whether that's ones that you've been in, your own kids, or just at church watching the delight that is that morning. For me, it was in my school age years. Um, every year, I can't remember if it was fifth grade or fourth grade, um, the whole class would get together on Christmas Eve and put on the nativity story. That was a part of mass. And we would get up and we would practice for months. Um, everybody in our class had a part, had a role to play, and I got to be a narrator. So I stood up at the lectern the entire time with one other kid, and we just narrated the story as our classmates acted it out. It was something that was very impactful for me because we were able to share the story of Jesus, and we put the focus where it needed to be. If you recall, in the Charlie Brown Christmas, the kids had focus elsewhere. It wasn't necessarily about Jesus to begin with. And they were getting on Charlie Brown because of that. I know as, as pastors, it might sound like a broken record this time of the year because we talk about combating materialism and the, the season and everything else that is advertised for us and trying to get our hearts and minds focused on the reason why we celebrate in terms of Jesus. And it's true because we can get in ruts and we can allow society to deceive us for a time but as you're here this morning, I think that you understand the reason for the season. I think you understand why we celebrate this day in history, that it's an important day for our faith. And you know, for me, I'm coming off of a fun message that was a passage of Scripture that doesn't get preached on enough, a passage of Scripture that definitely doesn't really get hit in the Advent season, and then we go to a passage that's hit almost every single Christmas season in terms of Luke 2. 
We go to a passage that you've heard multiple times preached on. Yes, we can fall in patterns and ruts because this type of thing is covered every year. We can fall into these patterns and celebrate Christmas and then go back to our lives tomorrow. Similar to the shepherds who go back to the fields at the end of our passage today. However, if you read ahead and if you remember from years prior, you know that they go back praising and glorifying God. So this morning, my question for you to ponder as we begin is how will you return tomorrow? How how will you return to the daily grind? How will you go back to your fields? How will you go back to your places of work? Will we go back praising and glorifying God? Will we recognize the hand of God who brings life into the world? You know, praising and glorifying Him, I think that that needs to be defined individually. What does that look like for you? How does that look? How does that um, display itself in your life when you talk about praising and glorifying God? So it's just some initial questions to ponder as we get into our passage this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can join me in Luke 2. We'll read the first 20 verses. Beginning in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in a swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all, pe- all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they heard and seen, as it has been told them. Father, as we go to this word today, I pray that you would give us understanding into your truths, 
that you would allow us to contemplate what it means to praise and glorify you, what it means to wonder, be in wonder and awe. And Lord, may you get the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So just a few points that I want to talk about today. You know, first within the first section, that first paragraph that you see there, um, it's talking about Caesar Augustus requiring a census to be taken. A census is a registry. It's done in order to count all the people for taxation purposes. You know, it's not cheap to run an empire, so Caesar is wanting to get some more money for the people to fund this empire. They needed the money, they needed the goods, and they were going to take them as they saw fit. You know, the, the heart and the attitude of Caesar is one of, I can do what I want because I have power. Oftentimes, the Caesars would think of themselves as gods, as immortal, as being higher than the normal people. They could do whatever they want because they had the power. Now, perhaps you've heard of something called the Pax Romana. It was the peace of Rome, something that was established and instituted by Rome um, because they had conquered their empire, their vast area. So there was peace within this area that lasted between 150 and 200 years. Now, it might not have been a complete peace because there were skirmishes that came up. You had the uprising in Jerusalem where the, the Romans came in and they flattened them. But basically, there was no big wars during this time. So it was known as the Pax Romana. Um, and they would, again, have little skirmishes, little things that would happen, and they would silence any dissenters through crucifixion or other types of killings. This was their form of peace. You had the Caesar who was trying to wield the power that he had, forcing the people to return to their hometowns. Now, this could seem like an inconvenience, especially for Mary, who was pregnant. But you think about them being forced to do that. You know, as an adult, I'm not really forced to do too much. I mean, I might have some work obligations that I'm forced to go to. As, as families, you might have some things that your spouse has that you need to go to, that you need to attend. But as adults, you're pretty much not forced to go anywhere. You can kind of do what you want. As a kid, however, I think this is a little bit more relevant because you're dragged around everywhere. You don't necessarily have a say of where you're going. You just go where mom and dad go. And you know, we like to do the things that we want to do. But here with Joseph and Mary, they're being forced by Caesar to go ahead and go where Caesar tells them to go. It's probably not something that they wanted to do, but they had to because the government told them to. Boy, it's a good thing we don't have governments like that today. <laughs> I'm working on my sarcasm, but that one was too easy to put in. And you know, you think about all the power, thinking that he is in control. You know, Caesar had all of these things that he wanted to do, and he did them as he saw fit. But, but the real point that I wanted to draw out from this passage in this first part is that God is the sovereign ruler, not Caesar. God is actually in charge here because he had prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. This comes from the Old Testament prophecy in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. There it goes. 
But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. So the birth of the Messiah had been prophesied by the Lord hundreds of years before Caesar came into power, hundreds of years before Caesar made this decree. See, God has used kings and rulers for his purposes all through history. But too often, we think of ourselves to be powerful and that everything is all about us. We might, we might not be to the level of Caesar in terms of the power that we hold, but in our own worlds, we are kings and queens. I mean, who doesn't like power? Who doesn't like to control things? We exert dominance over others in various ways. We rule our own individual worlds and the small aspects of it that we can because we cling to different things that we can control. We hold on to the power as little as it may be. Many times we do this through anger or force. Anger gives us an illusion of control. But in our life, we need to remember that first point, that God is the sovereign ruler that he is in control. We cannot forget who's on the throne. I mean, we know who is, right? We're here today, we're celebrating Jesus. We know that God is in, on the throne. We know it. We know it. But do we actually live it out? Is he truly sitting on the throne of our lives? Because we can say one thing, but our lives might tell a different story. These are issues that have plagued human history since Adam and Eve, the God complex. Can we really be like God? God is the only one who is king. He is the only one that we go to battle for and with. And we need to understand that in our lives. God is so powerful, so mighty, that he doesn't need to exert his might in this situation. Doesn't mean he hasn't. I mean, you look at the times of judgment, you look at the flood, you look at Egypt, you look at the exile, you look at the times that he raised up other countries to judge his own nation. God has definitely worked in acts of power throughout history. But here he does not come in power. Here he comes in the humble form of a baby. He doesn't need to act in the way that Caesar is acting bossing people around, telling them what to do, where they need to go for his own gain. Instead, God comes in the form of a baby in order to gain for everyone else. Caesar gets his power through war and conquering. God through bringing peace. And this is the second point that I want to touch on today. The peace of God that God brings. Peace and rest. It's something that we're going to be talking about in the upcoming sermon series. It's something I think that is very important for our world, for our lives, as there seems to be a lack of peace in this world. As I'm going through the different studying and understanding how difficult this term can be to understand, and the different avenues that we can go down, whether that's a peace of mind, whether that's a peace from wars, whether it's peace from conflict, or peace in the will of God, and so much more. Peace is tricky in our world, in our understanding, because we see wars, we see skirmishes, 
that break out. We see governments that are corrupt and cover things up. We see battles that rage on locally. We see not peaceful situations within our own home life. You know, we, we see all of these things and we realize that we live in a broken world. A world tainted by the wicked and the fallenness. We look around and think, can there be such a thing as peace? Now, a definition of peace in Jesus' day would definitely be the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. The leaders and the Romans would definitely agree to that. They would say, yeah, that's the understanding of peace. But what about those that are being occupied? What about those that are being forced to do things against their will? Would that be a good definition of peace? Perhaps similar to other countries and how they view America, having military bases in foreign countries. How apt are we to have a Chinese military base here in America? Russian military base. But yet, we have one in every country because it's our interest. Think about peace on the family level. You know, as long as those who are in charge are happy, there's peace. So from a, a, a parent standpoint, kids may understand as long as dad or mom is happy, there won't be any yelling. There'll be peace. From a child's standpoint, reversing it, maybe a child's throwing a hissy fit in the store because they want a piece of candy or a toy. It might be just easier to give them that toy and have a moment of peace. I've been in both places. When we understand peace in different ways, it helps us to understand that God brings peace because it's a different way to understand it in terms of the person of Jesus. It gives a different meaning that we have to address, a meaning that should be a priority in our lives. And today in our passage, it is worded in verse 14. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now that's the ESV's version. New King James has it. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And the understanding that we want to see is that peace uh, among men is among the recipients of God's good pleasure where if you are receiving what God has for you in terms of salvation, then there is peace between you and God. See, this peace that he's talking about isn't just world peace. It's not the beauty pageant peace where everybody's waving their hands and their desire is for world peace. No, this is a peace between God and man um, to where it's not automatically attributed to all men. It's available for all, but it's not automatically given. See, the Bible also says that the wicked will not know peace. Isaiah 57, verse 21. I think of Cain, who is cursed to be a restless wanderer, not understanding rest. See, Jesus brings a peace that is desperately needed for all mankind. Romans 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This was the peace that Jesus brought with him the first time. You know, his second coming is going to be conquering the rebellions and it's going to be establishing the peace of his rule. 
The peace between God and men is the focus of this coming, the first coming. And if you have it, you know it. You understand it. You might not always walk in it because sin is still here. We're still in a fallen world. But you definitely have experienced it. And because God brings peace with the person of Jesus, I want to focus the third point on some of the titles that Jesus has given in this passage. These are listed there in verse 11, where he is called a Savior, the Christ, and the Lord. Now, Savior is used for Jesus by Luke only here in his gospel. Christ the Lord, as a phrase, is used only here in the New Testament. You have Christ our Lord, but not Christ the Lord in other places. And the term Savior, it means, I mean, his name literally means the Lord is salvation. So a Hebrew understanding of this term would lean more towards the understanding of rescuer, where Jesus is rescuing us. So he's our savior, our rescuer. Christ, it is the Greek term for anointed one or chosen one. It lines up with the understanding of the Messiah. And as the angel speaks of the city of David, he's talking about the literal city, but I also think he's talking about the line of David, David who is an anointed king. So understanding Christ being the anointed one, linking that with David. And then the final term, Lord. It's a title that will connect Jesus as God. You know, you think of Thomas in John 20 as he feels the hands in the side of Jesus. He cries out, my Lord and my God. The Greek-speaking Hebrews would use this term kurios to refer to God himself. So Jesus, who brings peace, is a savior and rescuer, the anointed one, Messiah, and God himself. And he comes as a humble servant in the form of a baby. He doesn't come as a braggadocious emperor demanding his way because of his might. You know, there's a difference that we can see in the leadership. We can always recognize those that have earned our respect based on how they've lived and acted and those that are just demanding respect, saying respect me or else. There's a difference in leading with actual power versus leading from a standpoint of fear. Jesus has power because God is the ruler, the sovereign ruler. And he is coming to bring peace as our Savior, Christ, and Lord. Finally, this morning, I want to address the hearts and minds of those after they go back to the fields, after they come and they confirm the birth of Jesus. So look with me again in verse 15, and we'll reread this section. When the angels went away from them into heaven, The shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they heard and seen as it had been told them. So they go to see what's been told them and they encounter God's word being true, being validated. They tell of what happened to them in the fields. 
And then it says that all who heard what they had said wondered. Awe and wonder often accompanies the narrative of God. You think of Jesus' life and ministry, his teachings, many times the people are left amazed. They're left in awe and wonder at what his teachings uh, said. You know, it made me think, when was the last time that I could recall that I was left amazed, that I was left in wonder and awe at the at, with, from an encounter with the word, an answer to prayer, hearing a testimony, something that just left my heart in wonder and awe. Ponder that for a moment. Do you have something concrete in your mind? You know, after a time of staying and sharing with the family, the shepherds return. And they return not in the usual way. They return not just to the fields and their sheep, but their return changed. They're different. They return glorifying and praising God for all that they have seen, all that they've heard, all that's been told to them. See, when you encounter God in a way that verifies Scripture, it's amazing, it's eye opening. It doesn't happen every day, or does it? I would say that it does. But many times, we may not recognize it. Many times, it just goes assumed. It's commonplace. It's expected. We take it for granted. The sun coming up in the morning. The earth staying on its axis. Air to breathe. Okay, Pastor Kurt, I get it. But seriously, it's in the little things that we overlook all the time that we can experience God in ways that truly warm our hearts to know that his word is true. We often look for raising people from the dead, miraculous healings, slaying people in the spirit. But even then, we're skeptical when that happens because we don't really believe it. But we look for the big things and we miss the small things that happen every day. A constant prayer of mine, constant as in every morning, is Lord, give me the eyes to see and the ears to hear. Allow me to see people the way that you see people. Allow me to hear the spirits leading in my life. And as I'm praying, I understand that there's so much that I'm blinded by in terms of my own selfishness, my own wants, my own desires, doing things the way that I want to do them, holding on to control, controlling my little world as best I can. It's a process of letting that stuff go and allowing God to speak through me, to speak to me. You know, when the Lord puts things on your heart as you're going through life, you realize that he is right there with you. You know, and in that time of prayer in the morning, oftentimes I'm praying and I'm praying for each one of you as well because I understand that there's hard things going on in your life, taking care of parents who are sick, new medical things, pains, COVID, work struggles, financial struggles, uncertainty about the future. There's not a lot of peace in our hearts and minds as we face the hardships and trials. 
But as we walk the road together, I'm able to see how you walk in faith. And it's admirable. As you lean on the Lord to help get you through some of these things. And it might seem of little consequence. It might seem like, oh yeah, well, I just have to go through it. I don't want any attention. But you see, as you share your hearts and your testimonies, as you share your prayer requests, as we are invested in one another's life, we're able to see the glory of God working through each other. And we're able to praise and glorify the Father in heaven together. It's so important for us to share that with one another. To see what the Lord has done in our lives. Because life is difficult. Life is hard. And oftentimes we get isolated by the enemy. We get put on this island thinking that it's just us going through the hard times. We're just all alone. And we forget the little things like having a church family to be able to come alongside of us to help us through those hard times in life. To praise God together. To be in a state of awe and wonder. Pondering things in our heart. Treasuring how the Lord moves in our lives even today. Yes, we can celebrate Christmas for what God has done in the past by sending Jesus. We can look forward to Jesus' coming back to reign on the earth. These are big moments that, could be, that we can be separated from because we just have to believe in it. But we need to understand today that the King of kings and the Lord of lords came in this world so that we might have peace with the Father today that we can see his awe and wonder today. So what does that peace look like for you? How does peace with the sovereign Lord look for the issues where we're trying to control, for the issues that we're still sitting on the throne in our life, or the issues that we get angry about, where we're still acting like the emperor? How does the peace of giving that up in order to serve him benefit you? How does it open the doors for an experience of God's grace that can bring in that, that amazement, that can move mountains, that can bring in praise and glory? Every day, we should be praising God and glorifying him for sending his peace and light into the world. And there's going to be days that we mess up. There's going to be days that we're still blinded. There's going to be days that we fail. But wonderfully enough, his mercies are new every morning. His grace is sufficient. So for us this morning, let's praise him with voices lifted high to the heavens because of what he has done through his son, Jesus Christ, standing in awe and wonder at the true king, the one who sits on the throne. Let's pray. Father, as we celebrate you today, and we commemorate and just remember how you sent Jesus into this world, I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to those instances and times where we focus just on ourselves and our wills and doing things the way that we want to do things because we're adults and we don't have to follow orders, right? Lord, fix our broken minds. Heal our hearts. Draw us closer to you. Give us time in your word so that when we see your word fulfilled in our lives, we can just be in a state of awe and wonder so that we can praise and glorify and magnify your name above our own, 
above the things in this world. Lord, help us to let go of the idols that we have in our lives and allow us to stay true to the things that you have commanded. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for how you have sent peace into this world. May we cling to that in our lives. May we then go and serve you, who is the sovereign ruler of the world. We look forward to when you will come and you will reign here on this earth. Until then, Lord, may your name be praised. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.